When I was a teenager, a college student named Chris came to intern at our church over the summer. I loved the way he preached. I admired his sense of humor, his personality. He was just a good guy, and I wanted to be a lot like him. He drove a white 1991 Chevy Cavalier four-door with a blue pinstripe down each side. And my teenage mind thought, if I drive a car like he drives, maybe I could be like him. I put God to the test when it was time for me to start driving to see if he wanted for me what I wanted for me. I told the Lord that I would count every white car I saw. And if he wanted me to drive a white 1991 Chevy Cavalier with a blue pinstripe down each side, then the seventh car I saw, the seventh white car, would be a white 1991 Chevy Cavalier four-door with a blue pinstripe down each side. That's God's perfect number. I'm sure he'll be impressed. This turned into a little game. I drove around looking for white cars. Okay, there's one. That's one. Then there's two, three, there are four. That's five. I'm getting close. There's six. Game point. The next one will reveal to me the will of God. And there it was, number seven. What was it? I don't remember. But I do remember it was not a white 1991 Chevy Cavalier four-door with a blue pinstripe down each side. And I kept driving my blue 1986 Ford Escort station wagon with the white Mercury Lynx hatchback. I wanted Chris's car, but I didn't covet his car. If I did, I would have jimmied the lock, hotwired the car, and driven off with it. There is a big difference between wanting and coveting, and we'll hear a little bit more about that right after this. Hey, good day to you, Simplify listeners. You're listening to LJ Harry, and you're listening to Keep Clear of Coveting on Simplify. There's nothing wrong with me saying I like your car or your house. There's certainly something wrong with me saying I like your spouse. I wish I had yours. But if your car or your house or your phone or your laptop is all I think about, I'm coveting. If it causes me to steal your stuff or your spouse, I'm coveting. And I searched online for news headlines about coveting and found less than a handful. But if you search for news headlines for murder or adultery or theft, some of those other big ticket items we've seen in God's top 10 list, you'd better pack a lunch and dinner. You're going to read for a while. But one of those ugly headlines hits the presses right around 2 Samuel 11. It's one of the only stains on David's otherwise spotless record, but it's a deep, dark stain. David was that little gung-ho, red-headed teenage shepherd who ran across no man's land to face off against that larger-than-life, six-fingers-on-one-hand giant of a man named Goliath. By the setting sun, David walked off the battlefield, and Goliath did not. The cheerleaders took up their cheers and tambourines and sang David's song. King Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. I have no idea what the tune was. Overnight, David the shepherd became David the hero, but the incumbent King Saul was not singing David's song. He tried to kill David several times, but God protected him every time. Almighty God, not just David's band of merry men, was preserving his life. Even while King Saul played pin the spear on the shepherd boy, God preserved David. Then after more than a decade on the run, David was finally free, and David was king. One minute he was Israel's most wanted the next, he was Israel's next king. David was living the dream. He was godly. He was happy. He was happily married. 
He was wealthy, he was king, and he was wildly popular as king. David had everything a man could want until he woke up one morning to read his Facebook feed that Israel was at war with the Ammonites, but they were going through the Ammonites like a tornado through toothpicks. Chalk up one more win for the good guys. David thought, I'll let the big guns fight this one out. I'll just stay home and watch cat videos. But one night he could not sleep. He stepped out of his room and onto his roof. He walked along the roof of his sprawling palace to survey the city, his city. You can almost hear the sweet sounds of soft piano as David walks down a rough memory lane that led him to the rooftop on this palace as king over this country. God had been remarkably good to him. Whoa, who is she? And bye-bye piano music. It was dark, but it was still light enough to see a woman bathing. David should have known better. David should have done better. He was already happily married. He did not need another wife. He needed to love his own wife. Actually, wives at that point. He snapped his fingers and his trusty aide was right by his side. Your Majesty, I, I believe her name is Bathsheba. She is Eliam's daughter and she is Uriah's wife. She and her husband, Uriah, they coached the Jerusalem juice box little leaguers together. This is a bad idea, David. I I know what you're thinking, but you need to know that lady's married, and by the way, so are you, and not to each other. You know what Moses' law commands, thou shalt not commit adultery, and you've already read ten words. That's chapter 7. But David could not stop thinking about her. The Bible does not waste words. 2 Samuel 11, verse 2, lauds, she was very beautiful to look upon, but she was married. But that didn't stop our hero. He sent a suburban to pick her up and bring her back to meet him. He knew she would be impressed and flattered to be inside the palace. She lived within view of it, but never really saw it. But this night, she had the grand tour and the king's grand attention. David knew better, but he had never done worse. If I was editing the Bible, I would argue with God to, let's leave this story out. David, he's been through a lot in his life, in his childhood. He's certainly been through a lot as a young man. He's got a spotless record up to this point. Let's just leave this one out. Let history cover it up. But God wrote David's sordid sins right into his book for us to read and remember the 10th commandment. Coveting can take anyone down. Bathsheba spent the night at the palace. Just a few weeks later, she sent a message back to King David. No return address, but he remembered the perfume. It was from her. He ripped open the letter and read Uriah's wife's handwriting. Dear King David, I am pregnant. Sincerely, Bathsheba. David did not need a daytime talk show to know he was the father because Bathsheba's husband Uriah was away fighting David's war. He can't just admit he sinned, can he? No, he'll be ruined. His enemies will never let him live this down. But as soon as Bathsheba gets the baby bump, everyone will start to talk. That's odd. Uriah's away at war. And somebody will surely remember that night that suburban chariot with the king's royal seal whisked Bathsheba away to and from the palace. They'll remember the date, do the math, and it's over. How does he wriggle out of this one? Uriah's at war. But David's the commander-in-chief, which means Uriah works at David's command. David could call Uriah home. He can do that, can he? That's it. 
When Bathsheba announces she's pregnant, everybody will assume Uriah is the dad because Uriah was home and David is in the clear. No one will ever find out about his secret, sordid sin. So how are you hearing about it 3,000 years later? Uriah did come back from the battle, but his conscience would not let him sleep under his own roof while his brothers in arms slept under the stars. David tried again the next day. This time he got Uriah drunk. Ego and alcohol, that's a deadly cocktail. David and Uriah laughed and drank and laughed and drank and shared war stories until Uriah could hardly stand. But when the night was over, Uriah would still not go home. Even when he was drunk, he was more noble than King David. Then David did the unthinkable. He sent Uriah back to battle with a letter in his hand. Uriah delivered the letter to the general of the army, General Joab, and it read, Dear Joab, how's the battle? Wish you were here. Chef made beignets again. Set Uriah on the front lines, and when the battle heats up, withdraw your troops so he dies. I'll save a beignet for you, King David. Uriah carried his own sealed death sentence all the way back to battle and didn't even know it. The next day, Joab set Uriah right there on the front lines where their special forces fought. And when the battle heated up, Joab sounded a secret signal and everyone retreated from the front lines except Uriah because he didn't know the secret signal. And there on the battlefield, Uriah, a righteous man with snow-white integrity, died at the hand of covetous, adulterous King David. Coveting drove David to break the sixth and seventh commandments like they were twigs. From that day forward, David's life spiraled. Stained by rebellion, bloodshed, murder, cover-up, scandal, and it cost him the throne for a while and his own son's lives forever. God promised the sword would never leave David's house. David's righteous reign is overshadowed by the scandal in 2 Samuel 11 that all started with a covetous look that turned into a thought, that turned into adultery, that turned into murder. No wonder God wrote it in as one of the top ten, thou shalt not covet. Because covetousness ranks on God's scoreboards of sin. In Matthew 7, verse 22, and Romans 1, verse 29, Jesus and Paul list covetousness right along with adultery, fornication, and murder. You can't be serious. Covetousness lives in the same neighborhood as murder? Yep, and lives right across the street from idolatry. In Colossians 3, verse 5, Paul calls covetousness idolatry. When we begin to serve our money and our stuff and our relationships before God or right next to God, God calls that idolatry, and that's covered in the first commandment and the second. Covetousness is fueled by bad, old-fashioned, homegrown greed. It's the drive and the desire to always have more. If you ask the poorest to the richest how much money is enough money, most of them will say, just a little bit more. How much money is enough per hour? just a little bit more. How much money is enough salary? Just a little bit more. As followers of Jesus, we have to be careful not to be trapped by the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life. Jesus admonished, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Luke 12, verse 15. What about you? What have you been thinking about that you cannot stop thinking about? Who have you been thinking about that you can't stop thinking about, but you should stop thinking about? What is it? Who is it? Is it a car? Is it a house? Is it a move? Is it a job? Is it someone else's wife? Is it someone else's husband? 
Is it someone else's lifestyle? Is it someone else's life? Do you want just a little more so much that you're willing to sacrifice a little of your integrity, your honesty, to get it? Are you working all those overtime hours just because you have to have something you shouldn't have because, well, your friends have it? Covetousness will cause you to work longer than you should and separate you from your God and your family. Has covetousness driven you so far that you're willing to gamble away your mortgage or your marriage just for a little more? If you're tempted to play the lottery or gamble on any other get-rich-er quick scheme, please remember the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. Keep clear of coveting. Life is not all about money, so keep yours. Let them keep theirs. You keep your integrity and your work ethic and steer clear of any get-rich-quick scheme or gambling. Covetousness peddles a lie that if we have a little more, we'll be happy. And sometimes there's a hairbreadth line between wanting and coveting, but the consequences of crossing that line are severe. If covetousness is the villain, who's the hero? That would be contentment. Be content with who? With what? With where? What a testimony to be able to say like the Apostle Paul, and having food and raiment, therewith be content. 1 Timothy 6, verse 8. As long as we're clothed, as long as we're fed, let's be content. Let's hold tightly to the people we have and a little less tightly to the possessions we don't. Let's pray. This is the last of the Ten Commandments. Then we're getting ready to get up and march through the wilderness. So let's pray that the Lord would help us today to be content with the goodness and the grace he has given us, all the blessings he has given us, and to keep clear from coveting. Lord, you have been so good to us, inordinately good, extraordinarily good, faithful, gracious to us. Every good gift we have comes from you. Help us to be thankful. Help us to be grateful. God, thank you for all the blessings you want to give us, but may we not covet the things that we don't have and should not have or the people we don't have and should not have. I ask you today, help us to be content. Give us a gratitude in our hearts for the things and the, the people you have already given us and to be thankful for all that and all of those. We ask you for this today. Help us to keep clear from coveting and be grateful and content in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, Simplify listeners. Hey, be sure to subscribe, like, follow, share, and click the notify button. That way, every time an episode drops, you will know, and you'll be able to share it with your friends. Also, head to PentecostalPublishing.com. You can pick up the devotional, Simplify. It's not coveting, I promise. And you can pick up the book, 10 Words, from which these last 10 or maybe even more episodes have stemmed. There's a lot more content in 10 Words. This is just summed up for your commuting pleasure to be able to hear it all in one podcast episode. So you can pick those up at PentecostalPublishing.com. Use promo code SIMPLIFY at checkout, and you'll be able to save 10% off your order. It is a one-time use promo code, so use it wisely. Next week, we are leaving the mountain, and we're going to wander through the wilderness for a little bit and try to get to the promised land. And now I want to share with you an episode called A 40-Year Detour. Looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to walking closer with Jesus as we walk through Simplify.